When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. guys I have right now with me, uh, you know, Bob McAdoo, a Hall of Famer, one of my best friends, Michael Cooper, I've always hated him, but you know, I have to get a Laker on too. And you and starting I, to love me, Max, you starting yeah, to love, love me more love and more, you. baby. I, I love you, and, and I am Cedric Maxwell with the Celtics, and we're going to breach some topics today, and the first one we're going to talk about is the state of affairs of this country. Coop, I'll start with you, how do you feel right now, especially living in L.A., because is it different on the West Coast than it is here on the East Coast? Well, I, I think it's pretty much the same. You have a, a population maybe just a little bit bigger. But you know what? These are times that take you back. And uh, I wasn't I didn't I didn't live in the time back in the 50s and 60s when things I mean, the 40s and 50s when things were really, really difficult for uh, African-Americans. But uh, at this point in time history has a tendency to repeat itself and this is just unprecedented times you know uh george floyd was unfortunate incident to start all this chaoticness and uh it has just been um wild and woolly out here i think the the bad seeds interrupt what the message is supposed to be about and the movement that they're having out here the protesters that are protesting peacefully it's it's the energy and uh, a, a lot of young people you see out here. And the movement, I think, is not going to stop. Uh, it's unfortunate that the looters and the rioters and the people doing all the negative things at night are really putting a bad place on this. But I love that these young people are standing strong and they're standing out here in Southern California. Well, I'll go to Bob McAdoo, who, who lived it during this time in the 60s. Yeah. And, Bob, you and I, from that same kind of base where – we lived, as you said, we lived apartheid before apartheid. They even talked about apartheid living in North Carolina with some of the things we, we did or had to do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, when I first started getting conscious of this, it was the, uh, the Greensboro sit-ins, you know, which probably started the whole movement again in the 60s. You know, students from North Carolina A&T uh, went to Woolworths and they would not serve them. And those guys stayed at the counter. If you see some of the old footage, you know, on TV, you see whites coming up, pouring milkshake and sodas over their head. But those brothers, you know, persevered, stayed in there, and they had to change some of their policies. I mean, I, I didn't go to school with whites until I was in the eighth grade. And even then, after two days, the school that was 50-50, white-black, after two days, 99.9% black. All the whites had white flight. They moved the hell out of there. The, the, the houses on the street for sale. I mean, people look at me when I tell people that. They look at me and say, you sure you weren't born in the 1800s? <laughs> I said, no, bro. No, bro, this was, this was 1965 and 66, bro. This is what we had to deal with. All well, Bob, you, 
Bob, you coming from another era though too when and we and we're gonna get a lot of different things, but when people used to call you black in the days, you were offended because we went from being colored to black to African American. We then went through how many different times, but you remember distinctly being colored, especially during those times when those water fountains were colored only and white weighty rooms. So these things really affect you in a in a way, and you and I in a way that we kind of bond together at being from the South. Bread, before they even called us colored, they called us coon. They called, we had names. You know, we used to go downtown and little kids, white kids would be pointing at us like they had just seen somebody coming from a zoo. I'm like, are you kidding me? And we used to go back to our communities because our communities were intact back at that time. You know, we had support. We had businessmen, lawyers, doctors, all living in the same community. We were looking at these people. We like, said, man, they look like an albino ape to me. I mean, we, 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 we reacted strange to them too, but we didn't call them names. But the sad thing, and I've had some people, I was talking about doing a book and I've had some people to say, Bob, you can't put our dirty laundry out there like that. The sad thing about us in the seventh grade, Brad, I don't know if they did this in Kinston. They used to put us in class according to our shade of color. Wow. All the light-skinned people would be in the, the higher classes and all the dark skin in the back. This is the kind of sick stuff that racism does to us you know and, and Max, you know what uh max let me say something i think at this point in time this is not a laughing matter and i think we laugh at it simply because we live through it uh so we have that little bit of that obligation but this is very serious serious matter that's going on uh max what did you go through you know very much like bob uh you know i can remember my my one of mine is 19 i want to say probably 1967 uh, we were coming through Wake Cross, Georgia, uh, my parents and I, and we go to, we stopped to get some gas. My father had been in Vietnam, had been wounded. We get the gas and we, my brother and I go to the bathroom. Well, the guy didn't see us. We go in the bathroom, nice clean bathroom. My mother wants to follow us and the guys, he, we come out and my mother gets ready to go in. He says, no, 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 miss, you, you, you can't go in there. Your bathroom is out there in the grease pits. And boy, my father got so pissed off. He was yelling. He said, I almost died for this damn country, and I can't even use the damn bathroom. That oh, yeah. to me is that to me was when you think about where we were and having having a guy like uh, Jesse Helms, who was a devout racist, who was a senator of our state. And you, you go down to South Carolina where you couldn't even go to a beach without it being Atlantic Beach. I've said this story before. Atlantic Beach is part of Myrtle Beach. And they had a part of the beach where only black people could go. And mm-hmm. essentially, they put a chain link fence out in the damn water so damn far. If you went around, you had to be Mark Spitz trying to get back out because you it was that far out in the damn water. And they just didn't want, and I was thinking as a child, what is the difference between the damn water where the chain link fence is 
and where which women at. Yeah. So it, it was crazy. And 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 Myrtle Beach, my uncle warned us when we used to go to Myrtle Beach when we were children, or and when we got older, make sure you got a full tank of gas. <laughs> he got stopped. He had to stop for gas. This is when gas was 25, 30 cents. He'd fill up your car for five dollars. He gave one of these off-road, because there wasn't no major highways going in. You had these two lanes. He gave the guy a $20 bill. Gas was $5. Owed him $15. And the man said, get out of here, nigga. Wouldn't even give him his change. This is the kind of stuff that and you had nobody to go to no. to tell that. No. If you went to a sheriff. He would have told you the same damn thing. Get the hell out of here, boy. Get, get out of here, boy. Get out of here, boy. And you know what? Uh, uh, I didn't have the, uh, fortunate or unfortunately, didn't grow up at that time. But to listen to my grandmother and my grandfather and my oldest uncle and them talk about what it was like down in the South. My family is from New Hebron, Mississippi. And uh, that's deep, deep down in, in, in Mississippi. And to hear my grandmother talk about when she was 10, 11 years old, picking cotton and being told uh, that they couldn't use this restroom. And she used to say sometimes she would just have to go use the bathroom in the fields. Uh, that has to be very, very uh, damaging to people. But you know what? We as Black people are very strong. And we will persevere. And as we go through the ages, and now I, they, my family move out to California, Pasadena, and me growing up, the most uh, racist incident that I came across was that uh, uh, as a 10th grader, going out to Sierra Madre was considered the West, and that was the white part of Pasadena. And as long as we stayed more on the West side, we were okay, but Sierra Madre was more toward the east. So one day, me and my friends, we were going out there, you know, just, just driving. And we get out that way, and we're driving on our bicycles, and we get out that way, and we get to Sierra Madre, which is the boundary lines. And some police officers saw us, and they go, um, what you boys doing out here? And we said, sir, we're just going up here to see some friends. He said, you ain't got no friends up here, nigga. Turn around and go home. That, to me, is when I realized what color I really was and how much value I had as far as myself. I was only valued to a certain uh, stoplight or streets or street limit for me. And that's when I really started recognizing and trying to understand who I was as a black person. Bob, I'm going to say this and, 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 and you'll understand maybe a little bit more Coop where you live, but when we were, and, and I think this is one thing about, the fact that we have kind of moved out and spread out the communities when you were black back in the time during the sixties, you were disciplined at that time as a child, by not just yeah. your parents, yeah. but everybody around kids yeah. won't cursing, won't screaming. There were parents and literally on your street, that could beat your ass if you did something and then take you back to your mama's house and they beat your ass again. Absolutely. I, I think the fact that we have gone away from that black community that I remember you, Bimbo Park and all these other things, mm -hmm. there was a certain amount of pride that when you went to those black schools, it's like you dressed or you, or, you know, combing your hair or going places. You had to be a certain way as a child. And now I understand our kids have all these opportunities, but these opportunities have, to me, in some ways, have screwed them up. 
Well, you Max, you know what? And, and Max, I'm going to let you talk. But I, I also think, again, that's a great point. But you know what's missing? And I know you two can attest to this more so than I can. But from the time I was born until I left and went to college, I went to church. I was in church every Sunday, YPW on Wednesday, every day. And I think that's where it is because, Max, I'm like you. If I did something down the street, Sister Smith saw it, Sister Lewis saw it, Sister Thomas saw it. And by the time I got home and I got yelled at the whole way and somebody threw something at me, by the time I got home, my grandmother knew what was going on. So that's when you got a spanking. So I really do believe that uh, the religious aspect that we all grew up with is what's missing in today's society because, you know, kids try to get to church, but not as much as we went. Church was part of our upbringing and part of our, our culture and, and part of who we were as an individual. Let me, let me, let me give you a perspective. My mother, she's deceased now. I lost my mother uh, 2016, 97 years old, okay? She was a school teacher for 40 years. And I used to hear her talk. She was, you know, when integration started, this and I remembered this, it came from her mouth. She started thinking all of this stuff changed for blacks when integration started. Because she said when she started teaching, my mother was six foot one woman. If you acted up in her class, she was gonna yank your neck out of the socket. And like you said, you was going to get home and get that call from her. You was going to get yoked again. But when integration came, white parents, they didn't want no black teacher touching their kids. White teacher, black parents didn't want no white teacher putting their yeah. hands on their kids. The, 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 I mean, these kids got out of control. You know, Discipline, discipline was gone. It was gone. It was totally gone. It's just, it's, just, it's just like when you see black kids and they see these white kids going crazy over here, it's just like these people that's riding there. These innocent protesters are sitting here seeing these agitators break open windows and it, oh, some Nikes or nice Samsung. Let me, let me go on in here. They, I mean, they forget everything and start going in with the agitators. Okay, this is the same stuff that was happening with integration. We lost our communities, we yeah. lost our businesses, and I have talked about this several times. All these schools, UNC Charlotte, North Carolina, Duke University, UCLA, if we didn't integrate them schools, the balance of powers would have been North Carolina A&T, Winston-Salem State. We made those white schools powerful. Alabama, and I know you remember what, what, uh, what's his name with the cap? Uh, Bear Bryant said when, 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 when Southern Cal came down there and whipped their ass 30-something to nothing, he said, I got to get me some of them. <laughs> after, after, after he had said, if I get a nigga on my team, he's going to be able to punt it 80 yards and run and catch it too. He had just said that, he had just said that the year before Coop. And when Sam Bam Cunningham came down there with Southern Cal and he smoked that all-white team, hey, he had to get some. Me and Pat Rowley, our coach, we talked about this. When Texas Western yes. played Kentucky in 19, what, 66? I told Pat. To his face, I said, Pat, I know you 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 coached me and everything, you helped me get it, but hey, I was ready for big daddy Latin to bust your ass. 
couldn't wait when he dumped that first ball on Pat's head and Adolph Rupp with his jaws pissed off and stuff. I mean, that started the whole shebang with us going to New Mexico, UNC Charlotte, UNC. I mean, we've made them powerful. Look at A&T and Winston-Salem State and Howard and Hampton and Alcorn. Look at all these schools now begging for money. They got to go, you know, Winston-Salem State, A&T got to go to Duke to play against Zion Williamson. You know, they give them $80,000 to get their ass beat on national TV by 50 points. I used to get on Udonis Haslam. Udonis, he, he realized it. I said, Udonis, you guys in the locker room here with the Heat always talking about Miami, Florida State, Florida. I said, back in the 60s when I was going, man, Florida and them and A&T and Tennessee and I and Grambling, they'd have beat the brakes off of them teams. Now, now they powerhouses because all the brothers are going there. While, you know, these kids growing up now, they want their Duke caps and North Carolina and UCLA. Have, they don't even know what came. They don't know their history. They don't yeah. know what came before them. They just yeah. don't. That, that, that is, that's a great point because my mom ended up going to North Carolina Central. She played ball when Sam Jones was there. So you think about some of those great players that migrated over. You you talked about one, Earl Monroe, who yeah. was probably one of the greatest. Nobody knew about him mm-hmm. other than in those black in that those black colleges. And yeah. I remember one of the first ones I saw. I saw Charlie Scott go to North Carolina, and I was just like my mouth just dropped. The black there was a black kid that went from New York and came. And then it was Bob McAdoo after that. And I became a huge Carolina fan because they would play South Carolina University, Ooh, University yeah. of South Carolina, and they were all white still. Yeah. So you just had this whole thing that you saw a mentality. And as you said, the, the whole structure of college basketball has changed because of the migration of all these great black players going or, or players of color, I should say that players of color going to these schools that at one time wouldn't allow them to come in the damn front door. Wouldn't even allow them. What Only thing you could do is be a maid at North Carolina and clean up. You weren't a student. No. And that, it's just crazy. No. And, and that's why I think, that's why I think now with our platform that we have as uh, sports figures of color has an opportunity to speak loudly for the people that we've lost in George Floyd, Trayvon Martin, Atatia Jefferson, Breon Taylor. That's why I think today's movement that we're going through as older uh, African-American sports athletes, our platform is a lot bigger than, say, the average African-American citizen. Where is it? I mean, um, how can we make a better statement for our young people coming up so that they can realize what we're going through and the movement that we're going through that's going to take us to the next level. Bob, Bob McAdoo said it best in the fact that they need to go back and learn their history. What we'd say about Boston, as great as they were when Bill Russell was here, they invited Bill Russell down to, to a place and he had a house in Reading. He came back and somebody had, took, had broken his house and didn't take anything but took a shit in his bed. That is that that's the history that you have to go back and learn the history that you think about when Bill Russell 
and those championship Celtics were playing during that time, there were restaurants that they could not go in and eat. Bob Cousy said it. He said, look, that is the one thing. He literally almost broke into tears when he started talking about Bill Russell and his black teammates saying, I should have done more as a, as a white person because, you know, my teammates weren't even allowed to come in and eat. I mean, we, we play a game and then we have to go to different restaurants. That, that to me is like the most out, outlandish thing that you think about because you were all teammates. But damn, you can't go eat together? You, you can't go into a restaurant? And the, if, if you do one thing, I would give a, a, give a kid something that would scare the shit out of him, a damn history book, and let, <laughs> let him go back and look at that history book and read it and get the history of what has gone on before him to make him to, to make him feel comfortable when he could do you know have a Nintendo and and go go to a, a park or go walk out with a white girl and nobody say anything during the 60s when Bob McAdoo and I lived in North Carolina that was a death sentence man you yeah. ain't you didn't look at a white woman <laughs> you, you, you didn't do anything that was like the only white woman I ever saw was Raquel Welch, and she was on TV. That, that's that's <laughs> about as far as I went. You kind of li- liked her on Max. Yeah, <laughs> don't, even talk, don't even talk about a white woman. We couldn't even talk to high yellow blacks. Yeah. <laughs> Off limits to us. Even the high yellows. That didn't start until we started going to school in the 70s. Them high yellows didn't even want to talk to us. Well, let, let, me, let me go back because I don't want him to see this and see that I didn't correct the history. After Charlie Scott, it was uh, Bill Chamberlain. Bill came from New York too. And then it was me. I was the first local North Carolina player. And Brad can tell you this, they just didn't have, the coaches really didn't have respect for us. They, they used to go to DC and Philadelphia and New York to get their players. But we'll get on that another time. But talking about, you know, look what the, NFL owners did to Colin Kaepernick. They silenced him. You said we got a platform. He had a platform. Neil, I wonder what these NFL owners are thinking about him now. He took a knee and people turned it into something else. Disrespectful. Your man up top talking about get those son of a bitches, fire them son of a bitches. You know, I'm just wondering when they start the NFL season, what they going to do now with this national anthem? I think you're going to see these brothers in full force taking a knee. And what are these people going to say? What are they going to say? They're going to silence all these brothers? You know, I mean, I think they're going to take a stand or they should take a stand. Isn't it, Bob, isn't it so ironic that we talked about taking a knee and then you look at Mr. Floyd taking a knee and dying because of it? I think that is... That's the irony of it, that we, that, that essentially Donald Trump ran on that platform of of somebody taking a knee or not taking a knee. Now, there's, as, as you like to say, I'm going to do the Bob McAdoo thing right now, put my fists up and get a, get a power sign. And and I'm going to go like you, like your boy would do like Malcolm X. What did they say about that? Chickens have done what? Come home to roost. Yeah. 
<laughs> and our young people are, are taking a bold step forward. And I think one of the things that bothers me, and I, I think this quarantine has really helped me as far as a father raising my 14-year-old son, 15-year-old son, is that they spend so much time on them the, the 2Ks and on the internet and this and that. Matt, for the last month, my son has to come and watch the news with me, 30 minutes. So he <laughs> understands what's going on in today's world because what things are being voted on and voted out and uh, our president doing the things that he's doing, yeah, it'll affect us as senior citizens, but it's going to be importantly, it's going to affect him when he's 35, 40 years well, old. Well, Coop, I'll, I'll, Coop, I'll ask you this. How does it affect your household? Because you have a different household, a different makeup. Your wife and you, you come from two different places. How does that affect you when you're looking at that kind of stuff and your, your wife? Well, I, I think we live by the standard, the moral of what is right is right and what's wrong is wrong. It doesn't matter what color you are. And I think that's the most important thing. And, you know, my wife has her values. She's from Sweden and I definitely have my values, but we try to meet in the middle and just understand where our world is heading and how we have to raise our son together. So it has to be by the morals. Again, going back to the Bible, the Ten Commandments are big to me, you know, and people forgot about those. You ask some kids the Ten Commandments, they couldn't name you one or two of them, you know, but my son can name all of them. So I think that's the most important thing is what you teach your kids at home. But right now, and this is important for us right now, before all these people that have lost their lives, going all the way back to Emmett Tillis, it's important that you understand what's going on around you and you must become politically savvy and get involved when you turn 18 to get out there and vote. I used to think that my vote didn't matter until I went and voted and Barack Obama, first black president, became president. That's when I really took a, a, a big sigh of, of proudness in me because you know what? My one little vote, it does matter. And I think we got to get our young youth today and I think they are standing up and they're making this happen. But this movement that you're going on, this protesting, is that they understand now that you one voice, many voices make one voice and that one voice can make uh, turn it into change. Well, let me let me let me say this. I, I you know, we we talking to a, probably a lot of friends now during this pandemic, during the riots and stuff. I've got four friends two of them are ex-nba players i've talked to them just what you're talking about Cooper. about you got to get young people out we got to get the older people out too they are saying i ain't doing it bro. i don't like trump i don't like biden ain't nothing gonna change ain't nothing you can say that can change my mind they say bob nothing is gonna change why would i waste my time voting and I try to tell them, I said, look, don't be selfish. It's for your kids' sake. I said, they're going to probably lose health care. They're going to lose, you know, all of you getting Social Security now. I said, the Republicans are trying to take, those are a few things. I ain't no intellectual like Michael Dyson. I can't explain all this stuff. But I just said the simple thing. I said, look at here. Let, let me put it in my simple Greensboro terms. I said, you got two animals. You got a German shepherd and you got a shark. If you get bit by a German shepherd, you might survive. If you get bit by a shark, it's you're gone. It's the, it's, it's, the lesser, it's the lesser of two evils, bro. But it's, that, the level, it's the level of two evils. You and, 
the, the one that didn't, if you think's got a chance of even helping us change policies and do it, you know the other guy, he ain't changing nothing. He he's gonna bust you upside here. The, the candidate of law and order. What is that Mac, first for? Mac, you, listen, this is what I think when when you think about when I think about voting and uh, some people may say, no, you're not going to change anything. And it's like the, the 2016, you know, they didn't like Hillary. They didn't like Trump. So when you don't vote, you have no voice. You can't say so what's going on in the world. But for me, voting is important because our forefathers, uh, Martin Luther King, all these people died so that we have an opportunity right. to vote. And when you don't vote, I think that's a dis you're showing disgrace to them because of you're saying what they went for and them laying their life down on the line. It didn't matter to anything. And that is my biggest purpose for voting, because all these people that come before us, man, we, we owe it to them to get out there. And they stood for our rights before we need where we, some of us were even born. They stood for our rights. And now we have to stand for them, even though that they're dead. They, they wouldn't. Even, you know what? You're 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 right. In the sense that, and 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 Coop, I'm not, you know, dropping you out of this because me and Bob were in North Carolina, that they used to have a rule that you had to be able to read the preamble to the Constitution. A black person had to be able to read that. My grandfather, who my great grandfather, who couldn't read, couldn't really write. He used to write an X. Wasn't able to vote. You couldn't because he didn't know how to read. Whereas somebody could have walked up and, and taken him into the booth and said, look, vote for him. They used to make sure that people weren't going to vote. So, Coop, you're so right when it comes to you are doing your ancestors, the people before you, a disservice when you don't go out and vote for things that they died for, that yep. people on the line, that people march for. People in the cold. Martin Luther King took a took a bullet and died. And you know, you think about all the people that got assassinated. This is what it's about. And if, again, if we could do one thing for a child, if we could make a damn video game about history, that's what we need to do. Like this, this, this you know, Martin Luther King, you get points for that. Or you know, Call of Duty. Who? We'll give a damn about no Call of Duty. I want to exactly. see call it call of your damn mind. That's what I want. Somebody yeah. intellectually stimulating something, or you see these shows on, and I call them no brain shows. You know, Housewives of Atlanta, Preachers of of oh. New Orleans stuff. I Dunk. hate that crap because Dunk. what it does it poisons Dunk. us, and we don't learn anything from it. Back to, you know what? The call of duty is for these kids and all of us to get out and vote. That's our duty right there. Go ahead, Matt. Do no, no, no. He's he's right. I mean, I I see my boy on, on call of duty, man. It's like history, man. It's like history. We had we had. Let me, let me tell you something about history. I am so appreciative of what basketball has done to me. I've learned so much with my travels and stuff because it's so much propaganda out here on TV, man. Like last night, when I'm at the dinner table, we've got a big 75 inch and I'm usually going back and forth between MSNBC and, and CNN. And I said, let me, 
me see what Fox is talking about. <laughs> oh, hey, Mac, don't listen. To, oh, anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh. But I'm saying, let me, let me see what Fox is talking about. <laughs> I turned to Fox Network. They talking the exact opposite. They had people like, yeah, he's doing the right thing, calling the military and the militia and stuff. And I'm like, damn, CNN and MSNBC, they ain't <laughs> talking like that. And then when I talked to a friend of mine from Fed, who was in the army, he said, Bob, they can't bring the militia in here. I was in Fort Bragg. These guys are natural born killers. Yep. If you're bringing them guys in, they're going to kill the niggas. I'm telling you, if it wasn't all these white people out here that were allies, they'd have been shooting these brothers, these protesters already. I, I know that for a fact. Take you back to the 50s and 60s where they squirt with the, the uh, hose pipes and German shepherd dogs on them because people are trying to stand in line and stand up for what they believe in. Well, I mean, I'm, this is what we should say as a group. And, and this is what I truly believe in is that we need to tell the people or, or the, 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 the hoodlums, I'll say, who are out there stealing shit at this time, you are diluting the message because yeah. now you are giving you know, Fox an opportunity to talk about uh, some damn shoes have been stolen. Not a man's life. And, some and, see, and, they, and they and, say, and, see, and, I told you so. I told yeah, you so. Yeah, and, and that's what it does. If we're going to educate our people, our, our, our kids, we say to them, look, a peaceful ride. And that's what Martin Luther King was about. He was about peace. And he did it in a way. And they here's one thing I believe in. And, and I want both of you guys to understand this. There was something I just read the other day. And they said July the 7th was called a blackout. And what they wanted people to do on July the 7th, people of color, is not to spend $1. And what that would do, and the guy added this all up, calculated it up, he said it would come up to $10 billion. So how do you change things? You change things sometimes economically. How did they do the busing boycott when when the buses were down there and and they wouldn't let Rosa Parks on it? How did they do that? They hit them in the wallet. They stopped getting on the buses. The bus company was losing money. How do you get people's minds sometimes? You hit them in their wallet. So there's a thing that's called the blackout on July the 7th, I'm pretty sure, that we need to promote as people of color so we can get it out there so everybody understands how you're going to make change. And that's how people's eyes open up. When did people's eyes open up about Donald Trump? When the damn stock market went down. Yeah. Yeah, he, he said all this stuff about, you know, minorities and women and all this. Now, when the stock market comes down, whoa, oh shit, oh shit. get Trump out. We, we don't want Trump. But yeah. as long as they were making money, it's a whole nother thing. That mighty dollar. Boy, the OJ said it right. That mighty dollar, man, is something else. Some dead presidents, they talk. Yeah, I, hey, Brad, I'm with you. I got that message. I know about the blackout. Thank you for, for repeating. Let, let, let me ask you this. That. Let me ask you this, Matt. Okay, I understand what both of you are saying about the blackout, but is it time to be quiet now? 
don't you think we 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 on a roll that we gotta keep talking and saying it loud as James Brown say keep talking and saying it loud? Oh, oh no no you you are you are talking though you're talking when you don't spend money you're talking absolutely if you, if you go into that situation you don't spend a damn dollar and that store losing money that those are words they resonate the, as we say sometimes we're talking about <laughs> money talks bullshit walks yeah and yeah that's right. that's when you talk about yeah. We can still talk up to that time, Cooper. I believe we do. And, and you know, I, I think that because we're talking, I think it's golden. But when we start talking about the economic power of things in this world, that is when you're going to make a real change. When you have people of color who understand the power of a dollar and how to use it. And that's why, again, I'm so disappointed in my brothers. And sometimes they say it this way, too maybe even some white people who have gone out and looted. And they're saying right now, maybe it was the Klan which has gone in and, and made, you know, did some of these things. So they're trying to, you know, just as Trump has done the whole time, muddy up the damn water where people are confused. Yep. McAdoo? Mac must be, Mac must have to go do, do his bathroom run. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Coop, it's, it's just one of those things, again, where I look at the world is kind of really different, especially with Bob. Bob's wife is from Italy, right? Mm-hmm. So she's Italian. Your wife is from Sweden. Yeah. So you're talking about you guys encompass something that the world needs to, you're already right now a, a, a tribe, and you're making, you're making that whole sacrifice and making it work together. Whereas a lot of people right now just think they should go their separate ways and, and it's just not going to work. No, not at all. I think right now is the time for us to just to come together. And that's why I keep talking about this, the protesters out here in California, as well as all around the country, these young people and people in general are going out there and they're making a statement. And I don't think it's going to stop. And the funny part about all this, Max, is that, Things happen for a reason. And I think had this not happened along with the quarantine, the COVID-19, it's a good chance that the president that's there now might be reelected. But I think now, and I think the movement that's going on, I think people are ready for the change and they're understanding how to make changes that you got to be out there and you have to be in it. Well, the thing you're saying has to be, if you're out there protesting now and you don't vote, then you ain't did shit. Exactly. Everything you've done was for not. Everything you, that wasn't nothing but the show. Yep. So you have to get out and exercise. And, and I said this the other day, I think that, and, and no offense at all, I can't breathe. I understand where that comes from. But what I think they should be chanting right now, we will vote. We will vote. And that is going to resonate so much more to the politicians out here in the world, to the, to the White House, all these people are being a voting block. But because they're not a voting block, people people are just, they're, they're thrown to the side. Well, Matt, you know what? With uh, the current administration trying to suppress mail-in voters, that's what he's going to do. He's going to make people get out there and vote. And you know what? Uh, I did it for President Obama when he was there. I was up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And the polls didn't open until seven, but I was standing in line with about 600 other people. 
four o'clock. Now they couldn't see me because I was so dark. So I had a flashlight <laughs> on me. So they know that that space was being occupied. But you know what? I was out there voting. I think that's what's getting ready to happen. People are going to stand up and they're going to get out there and however they do it, rain, shine, snow, whatever, they're going to be out there and we're going to well, vote. I'll do it like this. Did you ever think in your lifetime that first of all, you have a black president, but then the backlash from him being the president has been just so polar opposite. Did you ever think that, first of all, did you ever think that you'd have a black president? Never. And tell me about what would happen after that. Thought your kids might have a chance. Yes. Uh, back in the, you know, 60s and 70s, and my grandmother, uh, bless her soul, she passed away. She would always, she would tell me this. She would say, Michael, we're going to have a black president one day, but it won't be in your lifetime. And I kept saying, oh, grandma, you know, and you know what? God willing, and he let me see that. And the thing that I'm looking forward to, Max, is I can't wait. And she said this too. She said, your kids, she said, don't be a woman for president, but your kids may not see it. I think we're going to see that sooner than later too. And uh, you know, I was very honored and proud to be part of Barack Obama becoming a president. And that's what keeps me going today is that and I never really was in politics, Max. I mean, mm -hmm. I think as we get older and you less running around, we do, we got more time to sit at home and watch TV. So you have to get into that. But you know what? Things are going to happen. I was glad to see that black president, but I think we're going to have a woman president very, very, very soon. Well, how did you, how do you feel now about the backlash? Because everything that Obama did Donald Trump essentially tried to erase it. Well, if, you it, know was, if, it, if it was health, it was something good. It, it didn't make anything that Obama did. He tried to erase it. And it's like a absolute, like a mirror image, like just the opposite. But Max, you got to look at it like this. When someone does something great and people come along behind are either jealous or uh, envious, Haters. they try to erase that. Don't hate us. That's that's it. That's right. But you know what? We're gonna brush our shoulders off on now, and we're gonna baby, keep on rolling because he can't erase everything. He can't erase everything. And you know what? Most of the stuff he's doing is by executive action anyway. So another president coming in can change that in a minute. So you know that's the big thing about it. How do you feel about the guy behind you right now, Kareem? What he said about the social social atmosphere because. Kareem as goes back in the 60s, because I remember him protesting with uh, Bill Russell, and he was with uh, Chamberlain. Muhammad Ali. And so how, how do you feel about that? This is, this is like you're connected to a part of history that is like, wow, because this was the dude right there. And you know what, Max? That's what I love about being around Cap. Cap was so intellectually not knowledgeable about things. And, and you know, I asked him and talked to him about those specific moments in time because you know what as we said before you relive history and Mac we're talking about Cap now him being okay, in the, okay. you know, the 60s is that um, just to hear him talk and hear his knowledge and hear his wisdom because he experienced it again it's something to see it but he actually went through it and to be with those big time sports legends at that time going through thing and Malcolm X being part of that whole group that they were going through in the 60s uh, his voice resonates a lot to me. So when I mean, saying, you think think about this. He was Lou Alcindor. This yep. is what it, it was. Me and Mac knew him as the beginning. Lou yep. Alcindor, big big Lou. That's what we big yep. Lou coming with that damn sky hook. That's what we yep. do. 
And then all of a sudden, he changed. Like, what? Who? Who is he? And we yep. had to learn how to pronounce his damn name. Yep. Yep. And he and he said, I remember reading stuff. He said when he was in school, a lot of these southern schools, Kentucky and all of them. He said then, no way I'm going south of the Mason-Dixie line because he had heard stories from his parents about, you know, not being able to eat in restaurants and being able to go to the movie theaters and stuff. So he headed out west where it's a little bit more liberal that's why me and Brad talk junk to you, Coop, because you you haven't <laughs> lived, you haven't lived the life yet, bruh. You don't know what it is. <laughs> listen, well, I listen. I'm a black man, and my strong shoulders are strong. I can take the hits, baby. Break you no, I haven't lived that, but you know what? I appreciate and respect and understand and and hear your knowledge. And that's the fun part about uh, having friends such as yourself and other people that are in my life is that I get to hear those. So now that I'm kind of experiencing it now. Uh, not to the degree that you guys have, I know how better to suit and how to approach things. I'm teaching my son how to approach things. And you know, it's unfortunate that we have to talk to our kids about being out in the world. And if the, the law enforcement stops you, there's yes. things that you have to yes. do as an as a African-American yes. that other yes. races don't have to do. And you know what? That's unfortunate. But it's our, our job to pass that on to our kids. I tell people, I'll tell my kids, I'll talk to them and even, Bob, I got picked up, not picked up, but I got a ticket in North Carolina about three years ago going through this town called close to Smithfield, North Carolina, where Smithfield had a sign back during the 70s. They didn't get rid of this sign until 1977. And it was a sign saying, home of the Ku Klux, Ku Klux Klan, love it or leave it. And I got, I got a ticket late at night. And the first thing I do, like I tell my kids, so when that police officer was walking up to my car, and white people don't experience this, as he's walking up to my car, I am yelling out at him. I am putting my hands outside the window. So unless I'm a damn octopus, there, there's no way that I can damn hurt you right now. Okay, so and, and that's what I tell my boys. I tell my boys the same thing. And that's the thing that people, people who are black or, or people who are color. That's what we have to tell our kids. And, and I think that's one of the things that I heard a guy on Sports Center say it today, which was fascinating to me. He was one of the one of the white anchors who's talking to a black woman. He said, he said, I used to say, I don't see color. He said, that was wrong. He yeah. said, you always see color when you go someplace. You might not, you might not identify, you might not, you know, say it's there. Color will always, right now, while we're around, will always be an issue. Well, I, I, I got frozen out when you guys were talking, but I, I kind of, you know, you were talking, Coop, something about we got to, our voices got to be out there. I want to say the symbol of Copernic was powerful, and they turned it into something else. You know, yes. this is what they do to us, you know, and you, you got to figure this, it's been going on bread ever since we've been alive. They're going to turn it into something else sooner or later. This is how devious this stuff is. You know, they're going to get off the whole shebang of what this whole thing was about. You know, George Floyd getting killed. They're going to turn it into something else and get our minds, get us unfocused, not on this stuff. 
I mean, I'm hoping they can do it. I know, I know why the three of us ain't out there. We, we're 60 plus. They've already, <laughs> hey, we, have, we have not forgotten about coronavirus. <laughs> coronavirus hey, that's, coronavirus that's a lot of walking. Coronavirus will kick your ass. Yeah. You 60. Hey, what are you talking about, Brad? I'm doing this. <laughs> I, I lost I lost a cousin two weeks ago in New wow. York, coronavirus, 40 years old. And he lost his girlfriend uh, two weeks before. She was a nurse in New York. This boy had everything to live for. But I found out from his father, he was on a flight coming from London, okay? The flight was supposed to go to London to Kennedy. They diverted the flight from Kennedy to Quantico. Quantico, out of the 80 some people on board, 62 of them tested positive. Wow. COVID 19. He was wow. one of them. They kept saying from China, from China. No, the stuff came from Europe. It might have started in Wuhan, but this stuff came from Europe too. And they didn't say nothing about the Europeans coming in. They, they, they stopped the yellow man coming in, but they didn't stop the white Europeans coming in, which brought the stuff all over the place, okay? But the main thing, what I was going to say is we can't let them change our focus on what it is. I hope these brothers, when they start the season, if it goes back, and I know what they're going to run into, they're going to run into Hannity running his mouth on Fox, and they, you know, your boy up at the top talking about fire these son of a bitches. All that's going to come back again, and they're going to forget what the original thing was about with Kaepernick and this young Bob, man. Bob, as you like to say, keep your eyes on the prize. Yep. That's what, that's what, that was one of the things they used to tell us back in school and when it was just an all-black school. Keep your eye on the prize. And that means don't divert your attention for, to something else that people want to brainwash you about. This issue is a major issue. And yeah. it's going back to the 60s, the 50s, the 30s, when black people were being lynched, when, when they grabbed a young black kid out of his bed because he was playing with a little white girl, kissed her on the cheek, and they came to his house and they lynched this little boy. This boy was like seven years old, grabbed him, lynched him because he had kissed a white girl, a little white girl. And that to me, that's why we have to keep our eyes exactly where they're supposed to be on like the election, about politics, about power, about money, about finding all these things. We have to keep our eyes on those things. Oh, we definitely, we, we, we definitely got to do that. But Brad, you know how hard it is. We, 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 we are all over the place. You know what I'm saying? We, we're not one, we're not like an ant farm where everybody's thinking the same. You know, we got people over here, over there. You know, they were Trump, they were McConnell, they were Strom Thurmond. Oh, talking about Strom Thurmond. The most segregated George Wallace guy you ever want to see. And this dude was jamming his maid. Had a black daughter. You know, I mean, did you read about that coup? Yeah. 
Black. This guy had a black daughter, and he's like George Wallace standing in the doorway talking about segregation forever. Get these niggas out of here. And you got, I hate saying it, I ain't gonna say it. You got a black daughter, you know. I mean, it goes back to what Brad just said. We got to keep our eye on the prize, and all that other stuff is fluff and glitter and glamour, and that's what we have to keep our young people thinking. November the 3rd is going to come real quick. Yeah. The distractions with the, uh, uh, the the protests and all that are good things, and the movement is there, and people are fired up about it, but we got to keep that fire stoked until November the 3rd and go out and make a difference because if you make change, and again, we Black people, just because it's going to be a change, we're going to always go through, it's going to always be a struggle the rest of our life. It's going to always be a struggle. What we try to do is make the struggle a little less harder. But it's like... Let me ask you this. We're talking now on this podcast. Are we reaching as many people as Hannity on Fox? Are we reaching as many people as the head guy up there doing his, you know, his coronavirus press conferences every day? I mean, people are seeing this stuff every day. That we have to do. We always start with one. You just start with one. That's how that's how a movement starts. Mm-hmm. We can't worry about the, the, the masses and, and getting to them all at one time. You start with one. Word and of mouth, Max. That, Word of mouth. That's that's how the foundation of stuff start to begin. You mm-hmm. build it brick by brick. It's just like Matt Mac put it like this in a basketball term in the U Cooper basketball term. You didn't come out just being a basketball player. You had to put in the work. And yeah. one day, you know, one day you were rebounding. Next day, damn, I, I got a jump shot. Next day, I did this. And then it's, it's, it's a, a, a big collection of things which come into play. So, no, we're not going to reach the masses. But eventually what's going to happen is one person is going to hear this and it's going to affect the child. Like I said, that one line I said, you want to scare a kid? Give him a damn book. Give him a damn book of history. Damn, he damn, he will probably pass out. So those are the things that we have to do as older people of color that we've been there and done that. Wow, we're, we're passing Cooper. We're passing stuff down that you said, like our grandmothers gave to us, information they gave to us. We got to give that same information to our kids and try to inform them in a way. My daughter, and, and God bless her, love, I would kill somebody. I heard her say one of the craziest and most asinine things one time when Obama was in the office. She said to me, so dad, what's, what's, uh, what's Obama ever done for black people? I was like, what? What'd you, what'd you say? And she has her doctorate. And I just went off. I went on and on. And then finally I got so frustrated, I hung up. And then I called her back. I said, let me ask you something. Don't you have Obamacare? She's like, yeah, I do, but I have to pay the premiums. I said, welcome to the damn real world. That's that's what has to happen. So you you got to understand black people, and, and, and we're going to probably kind of close, but this is what I believe. Black people for the longest time have been like crabs. Mm-hmm. When a crab gets out of a barrel, about to get out of a barrel, another crab will grab him and pull him back down. Instead of letting that one crab reach back and pull people back up, that's what we have to do and stop being so jealous and envious of each other. 
We are one, we, we are people, we are a race that has been through so much. We were in Africa, we were the days, we, all these things we've done, but we have to learn to start helping each other. And if we don't do that, all this talk that we do right now, that's just some bullshit. I'm gonna say this, and uh, Mac, you said, our platform is not as big as Hannity or the other people, but we have a platform. And I do believe our voice is being heard by just a little bit, but again, word of mouth is the best thing that happened. If people are hearing this, come on, they'll hear it about some other The troopers set you free, baby. The All the time. Free. Hey, hey, talking about bread, talking about you were pissed at your daughter. I was just pissed recently at my 47-year-old son because we weren't talking on the phone. We were texting back and forth, and he made a statement. We, I, I rarely get into political stuff with him. Yeah, rarely do because you know your kids are different. I rarely get in political stuff, but he said something that started the conversation going south. He said, Well, when my sons get out there, maybe they won't recognize them. He's married to a Russian girl, he's got two mulatto boys. I'm like, What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> What are you talking about? I know they, I know they light, they light skin. But if you got a tent, brother, you can, when they walk out of that house, you better be. Hey, I tell you what, they better not speak no damn Russian, which both, both of them are fluent in Russian. They better not speak no Russian because if they run into one of them Fort Bragg motherfuckers, it's gonna be adios, amigo. <laughs> That's kind of what I tell my son. When people look at you, they look at you as a man of color. They don't see white. And no. again, you might have a little 50% white in you, whatever percentage you have, but they're looking at you as a black man in America. Absolutely. 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 Don't forget that, man. I mean, I mean, it's like I had to do the Italian thing to him. I'm like, <laughs> what the Matt, fuck? You got to do that to him too, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> this one, or, or this or this one cool. They they do this in Italy too. You remember this one cool? <laughs> up yours, buddy. Up yours, buddy. Yeah, up yours. Up, up yours, buddy. baby. Up yours. Absolutely. Man, I don't I don't had I don't had cool. bread. I don't know if this happened to you. I've had a gun pulled on me. And a friend, when we were young, sitting on the curb, pulled a gun on us, man. They thought we were, you know, they had heard about somebody's house had gotten robbed. And we, me, we just sitting on the corner and they pulled a gun on us. Okay. And Sam, you remember Sam, right, Brent? Yeah. Militant Sam. Sam reminded me the other day. We were going when ML was living out there by Guilford College. We were going to see ML and four police cars pulled up on us stopped had their hands on their guns where you going boy we say we going to ml Carr's house how you know him we used to play ball with him took my license plate my license say this is when i was with buffalo you that boy that went to carolina i said yes sir they took sam's sam rose wasn't your father a sergeant in the Greensboro police? Yes, sir. Said, we'll take you to ML's house. 
He wrote us out there, West Greensboro, got us to ML's house. ML was out in the yard. He screamed, ML, still didn't believe us. ML, you know these boys? ML said, yeah, yeah, they, they, they cool, let them go. This shit happened to us. Yeah. Who yeah. in the 70s, you know, you talking about we here. Let me tell you something. We are lucky, Coop. You in your 60s, right, Coop? Yeah. Greg, what you about 66? I'm 65. You're 65. 65. I'm 68. We are, I saw a guy on TV, this uh uh this doctor. After all the shit we go through, he's basically saying this. I can't even explain it. But all the shit we go through on a constant basis, we're lucky we're alive. You know, we have high blood pressure. This is shit that we have to deal with, that we have to put on the back burner every day of our lives. They, they don't have to do that. That's why, let me tell you, that's why I got my social security a lot of people getting it at 62. I got mine at 66 because I had read in the paper where the average black man, our lifespan is 68 years. I'm right there at our lifespan limit right now. When I went, when I went to the Social Security office and I asked one of our scouts, said he didn't get his at 70. I asked the black lady behind there, I said, because I knew I was still working with the heat, you know, making decent money. I said, should I work to 70? I thought I was looking at my tumble behind the <laughs> lady did this. <laughs> she said, no, 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 no. I wouldn't do that. You done already got past the 62 line. I would take the 66, brother. That's exactly hey, what I did. Um, again. did a matumbo on me. Dude, dude. Hey, you want to give a, uh, a shout-out, Max? Last thing is, uh, for me is... Um, uh, we lost another great one, man. Wes Unsell. Yes. Uh, yes. 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 You know, Wes was a player, man, that I idolized growing up in the 60s. I uh, played with Baltimore. Probably one of the best and truest uh, undersized player to play a big role, but the best power forward in the game today. I know you guys know him a little bit better. You want to talk a little bit about him? Well, I'm going to tell you my story. Not Bob knows him a little bit better, but I got hit with the hardest pick ever in my life. Uh, running into West Unsell, and I do remember that. But the story I remember about West Unsell was I was one of the first guys in the NBA that was a salary cap hit. My last year in Houston, Houston was trying to get rid of Bill Fitch. So Bill Fitch, was he had brought me in from the Clippers. So he was building rid of everybody. He sent me to uh, Washington, and West Unsell was the head coach. Wes was whatever he was, man. He was just brutal, man. He he wanted me to quit, dude. I had a guaranteed contract, I, dude. I ain't quitting. So he was running me all this stuff. So finally, on the last day before camp, the trainer comes in, and calls me, says, "Corns, Wes wants to see you." I walk in. That's what Wes called me, Corns. He said, "Well, Corns, we had to cut you." And I get up out of my chair. I'm getting up already. He said, "No, no, no. Let me explain it to you." I said, no, no, Wes, let me explain something to you. I got two years left on my damn contract. Only thing you need to know from me is my damn address. Adios, amigos. <laughs> well, my, my, my story with Wes is this. I mean, I went over to uh, the, the Basketball Without Borders. We, we met Nelson Mandela. All of us took pictures with Nelson Mandela. 
But me and Wes used to talk because I used to, I used to tear Wes's ass up. You know, he used to fire. <laughs> I used to hate you because when you used to shoot your shot, you used to slap me every time in my face because I had one of those jump shots, you know. But uh, he was talking about all this stuff they're doing now, combines and all these tests and psychological tests. He said, Bob, if they'd have had me in today's game, I couldn't go around them cones in 10 seconds. I didn't have no 35 minutes vertical. They would have cut my ass. But all he did, all he did his first year was make rookie of the year and MVP. <laughs> <laughs> and had one of the had one of the nicest afros too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. There you go. There you go, Coop. <laughs> well, with, you know, with that, I think we're gonna finish, gentlemen. It was great to have us all together again podcast world you know we're we're just trying to give you information about the current state of affairs how we feel if you were offended by anything that we said as we would say screw you then all right that's what we say at the end of the day but we're just trying to give you information that we feel <laughs> you know what i really want to say but we we're just trying to give you information that we think that you could use we're trying to tell you about the history of the game and we're trying to tell you a little bit about history of black people. So with that, guys, we're going to close. You guys stay safe.